PRU, we truly appreciate the support of our listeners. Thanks to your membership donations during and after our November pledge drive, we only have a few thousand dollars to go to reach our annual membership goal of $259,000. Reaching that goal will help make WERU financially sound as we move into 2010. So please give whatever amount you can. You can make an end-of-year gift to WERU by calling 469-6600 during weekday business hours, 469-0500 during evenings and weekends, or donate online at weru.org. You can also mail a check to P.O. Box 170, East Orland, Maine, 04431. For all you do to keep WERU going strong, thank you. Support for Talk of the Towns comes from Coastal Drilling and Blasting Incorporated, serving Downey, Central, and Midcoast, Maine, and located at 328 Bucksport Road, Ellsworth, 1-800-640-3515. The time is 10 o'clock, and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefits to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Successful relationships at home and in the workplace rest or founder on our ability to communicate. But Good communication is more than speaking clearly or presenting ideas in a logical framework. How do we put all the skills together into an overall communication style that works for us? And that's our topic here this morning on Talk of the Towns, and I'm very happy to welcome back to our radio space Bob Katayan. Bob is a counselor and consultant based in Ellsworth, and he's been with us uh, when we used to do the Family Radio Forum uh, program many times. Welcome to you, Bob. Well, I'm so glad to be here. It's been a while, and uh, always a pleasure to talk with you and um, other people who are listening. Great, great. And we will um, open up the phone lines a little later um, if you've got questions as we talk about communication styles at home and at work. Bob, what have you been up to? You've, you've been uh, writing a book, I understand. <laughs> yeah, that's taken up a lot of space in the last year and a half, and it's been um, a labor of love for me, something I've thought about for many years, and... Uh, for many reasons that are hard to articulate, decided it was time to bring it together and put it into book form. And of course, it's something I've been working on and using for many years in workshops and trainings um, in-state, out-of-state, um, formally, informally, in the office, out of the office, and just decided it was time to try to bring it to written form. And I was uncertain about that because it's, it's a hands-on kind of model right. and not certain it would translate well into book form and not having done something um, on that scope. 
um, was a real challenge, but um, I'm happy to say that it is completed, it is available, and I've been getting some really good feedback, so I'm good. delighted. Well, it's, it's, it's brief to the point, it's readable, and it is hands-on. It g gives people a chance to kind of dig into their own styles and look how those styles might be um, affecting and, and not affecting others in, in the way that they'd like. Well, it was important for me to do something that felt manageable and useful. I had to be careful not to put too many stories in or too much information, but to make it succinct and clear and something that people could really work with. And in that sense, created the second half of the book, which is a workbook. Mm -hmm. um, I've actually reproduced it in eight and a half by 11, so it's a little easier to write in. Mm -hmm. But to have something that people can actually study and um, use in a practical way to help them define their individual communication style. Mm. That seemed important to me. Well, in our past shows, we've talked about uh, communication between um, people, um, between men and women spe specifically, between parents and, and children. And I didn't know at that time that you've had a kind of a lifelong interest in communication. <laughs> and in the introduction to the book, you talk a, a little bit about uh, some of your early observations, um, one coming from your family, which is a, a set of communications that we all learn from that. But but the other was interesting um, was about um, television and it's those <laughs> early 1950s uh, kind of sitcoms, family sitcoms, I guess. So tell us a little bit about some of the things that you got both from your family and from <laughs> watching television in the, an early age about communication. Well, it, it was interesting because, of course, doing something like this um, puts you in a reflective mode and really got me to thinking back about a lot of things that I hadn't necessarily thought of more formally but recognize that this um, avid interest of mine in communication, communication styles, really does go back to the very beginning. And uh, having grown up in a bilingual family, Armenian and English, both spoken, it creates a different kind of communication environment. You have these two languages that are intermingled all the time. My parents would speak in sentences that had both Armenian and English words in a hybrid form of grammar that you couldn't diagram, um, and and had uh, there's uh, uh, some amusing stories about that, of course. But but for me as a child, I was spoken to a lot in Armenian and responded only in English, so I never became fluent. Mm. But often would be in situations with other people where I didn't know what was being said, literally the words. Mm. I, I would know some words, and I would have to pick up on what was going on in um, I guess a more nonverbal way. Uh, the affect that was involved, trying to get the the key words and the gestures, the the feeling, the tone of things, all of that coming together to inform me and to understand what was going on and to be able to respond appropriately. Now, it's not something a child gives any thought to. It's just a natural <laughs> thing. But when I thought back on it, I realized how my attention to the communication um, was really quite broad. It wasn't just based on the words being said, and so I was more tuned in, I think, to a broader scope around different communication elements. Mm. And I suppose when you went to school, where you, you were um, operating in English entirely, then you had this this um, opportunity to observe that form of communication, that language, and then to go home and, and parents and grandparents, you, you had to kind of put things together. That's right. And actually, my older brother, three years older than I, he only spoke Armenian. Mm. And when I came along, they decided that since we would be going to school, we better learn English. Mm. Um, and so coming into school for me, felt I felt different. 
Um, I, I, I knew that my family was different. That's the way it felt to me. And I, I, I think I was tentative mm. in some ways mm -hmm. um, until it took me a few years of school to feel more at home and that in a sense I had been Americanized. And I think television helped with that. Mm. Um, watching television, I mean, that was the era mm -hmm. um, and we were all riveted by it. Mm. It was fascinating and for me, gave me a glimpse into other families, the situation comedies of families that did not seem like my family. Mm. They didn't talk the same way, they didn't eat the same food, they didn't do the same things. The, the feeling tone of the atmosphere was totally different. Um, and of course, Situation comedies were stylized along a certain format that I wouldn't have understood as a child. Mm. But there was always a problem to be solved in these. And, of course, the, the way they went about solving those problems on television was nothing that was like my family. And I'm sure it probably wasn't like anybody else's family either, but I didn't right. know that. Right. And so I, be, I had rapt attention there because it was so interesting. And I think I was trying to figure out how things worked in the greater world beyond my family in a way that wasn't pure entertainment. Mm -hmm. but, but then, as I thought more about it, I realized how I was um, really interested in what people were saying and not saying, how they were saying it, and why they were saying it a certain way. And I was actually interacting with the TV when I would be by myself, um, you know, saying, no, no, don't say that. That's not going to help. <laughs> or why wouldn't you explain it this way? Because right. if you do this, they're going to get it. If you say it that way, they're going to miss the point. Mm. I, I was interacting like that internally with other people around, but I was literally out loud doing sure. some of that on my own, which I'm sure would be an amusing thing to film. <laughs> so as, as you think back, um, were there some things that happened either in the family or um, kind of in that virtual world of television that you said, oh, that, that works as a communication style or that doesn't work as a communication style? Yeah, I didn't think of it so much in terms of style, mm -hmm. but it was more around Method. content right. for me uh -huh. and noticing that, again, why wouldn't you say certain things? Mm -hmm. And it occurred mm -hmm. to me that People weren't thinking the same way. Mm. And, and that is really fundamental to communication styles. We all think somewhat differently. And it's, we don't have access to that because it's our internal worlds. Mm -hmm. I mean, just to leap ahead a bit, some of us think more in pictures, mm -hmm. in images. Some of us think more in words. Some of us think more on an effectual feeling level. Now, we're all doing all of those things, and that gets to the heart of the whole communication styles framework and perspective. Um, but people are, for example, picturing something, and they're, they're giving words as a caption on mm. the picture. But they may think they're describing the totality of the picture when uh, they're really not. They're only giving a caption and the other person isn't seeing what they're seeing mm. and they may think they're communicating more about that than they actually are and so when i'm watching the people on the television they're giving some information but i can see that other information is necessary to get across the point for example around their motivation they're telling the story of what happened it doesn't necessarily include their motivation and that was something that i became very aware of those background elements like motivation so that you were observing perhaps that people um, who were being spoken to weren't getting the, the whole picture. That's right. They mm -hmm. were getting a part of it, and then they would be responding on that basis, and the other person isn't necessarily aware that the first person isn't receiving all the information. And then you can see how the conversation becomes 
uh, driven by that process that has either misinformation, missing information, mm -hmm. and it becomes something that really doesn't address the point the or, or the problem at <laughs> right. hand. And then, of course, uh, they script that on television on purpose, <laughs> only I wasn't really thinking about that aspect of right. it. And how about in the family? Did you see some of the similar kinds of things? You were you were um, certainly picking that up because some words weren't um, in English and some were in Armenian, so that you you had not a full picture there too. Oh yeah, that's true. A actually, when I think about that, it, it it reminds me more of my older brother um, and the conversations he would have with my father. They would get into lots of conflicts. And I would be beside myself because I could see where my brother was saying all the wrong things and how it would set off my father. And my brother, in effect, was was speaking a little bit more from a modern point of view. And my mm. father was more from an old country mm -hmm. point of view. And I could see those cultural differences playing out and that my brother wasn't perceiving that. And I was trying to help him translate that into this old country mm. kind of mm. uh, discussion that my father would better understand. But he, he never really got that. And he didn't really take well to my coaching either as a younger brother. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure not. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about the path that you took from those early years to um, where you are now as a, as a uh, counselor and consultant um, around communication. Um, how did you get interested in that as a, as a topic, um, perhaps in college? Well, it, it, it did become more formalized, and I became more aware then of my interest. And um, when I was in college, I was studying to be a teacher and had to take a speech and language course. Mm. Uh, took that and discovered that there was a new development in the speech and language department and they were they were calling the department in the next semester communication arts and sciences mm. and i just thought that was a delicious title <laughs> and it just uh sparked my interest i had a course uh, with the department chair charles brown um, in the speech in the first speech course and he was offering all these courses and i spoke with him and I, I was just electrified mm. by it. I couldn't believe that this was a subject area to be discussed and mm. to study. Mm -hmm. And it was in its infancy, so there weren't many course, courses. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, there was also um, a lot going on in the counseling world and encounter groups and mm. all kinds of other uh, formats for, that were largely around communication, but mostly having to do with emotional kind of communication. I was drawn very much to that just because of my natural interest. But now there were formal ways to study that. Mm -hmm. And so I got involved in the counseling uh, department through a pilot program for peer counselors and then took these courses in interpersonal communication. And I, I was just so excited by that. And and then it was over when mm. I, uh, because there wasn't that much to do with it beyond those courses. And I graduated and had a teaching degree and started teaching school right away. But, but always had this background of paying attention to the communication. And until I then made the leap from classroom teaching to counseling, um, it was a more indirect involvement with communication. But of course, getting into counseling, that was really. Uh, that is uh, so directly connected to interpersonal communication, relationships, paying attention to the process, which directly involves communication. Mm -hmm. And from that, I, I actually borrowed on education and brought in the whole area of learning styles 
there were other people doing things with that at the time, and it seemed really compelling to think about learning styles and counseling, because counseling is a learning process, mm. learning about oneself, learning about relationships, learning about the world around you. And so realizing that since we're learning, and, and how does that get reflected then in counseling in terms of learning about ourselves, not just about subjects in school? So that to me was a natural segue, mm -hmm. and I started paying increasing attention to that and noticing my way of communicating, processing, learning, how that was reflected in the kinds of questions I would ask people, the assumptions I might be making about other people, and learn to take care around those elements in the early years of counseling. Mm. We're uh, speaking with Bob Katayan. Bob is a counselor and consultant based in Ellsworth and author most recently of Do You Know What I Mean? And uh, that's published by Ex Libris. Um, you can find out more about that. Um, we'll, we'll list that information at the end of the uh, program. You're attuned to Talk of the Towns. And if you've got questions as we talk about communication styles at home or at work, you can give us a call at 1-866-625-9378. Uh, uh, Bob, let's, let's um, review some of those um, learning styles. Uh, not everyone may be familiar with basically four, um, four different ways of thinking and processing and, and taking information in. Yeah, I, um, well, just by way of uh, summary again, taking the concept of learning styles and also um, the theory of multiple intelligences, which I won't get into, mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's, a, it's a way of broadening the whole uh, concept of learning styles. And, and I, I took both of those paradigms and kind of crossed them, okay. crossbred them, mm -hmm. and looked at seven different communication components. Okay. Um, often people will say, well, you mean there are seven communication styles? Right. No. There are as many communication styles as there are individual differences. But these seven components are things that we're all doing, and they configure differently for each individual. And um, so uh, I don't want to get into the terminology in too much detail, mm -hmm. but if you, I, I've already referenced the, the visual, mm -hmm. spatial, that is that we're picturing things. When we're talking, mm -hmm. we have images. Mm -hmm. Some of us have very detailed images. Some of, us, some of us have very sparse images. Then there are the obvious words, the mm -hmm. linguistic component. Mm -hmm. Um, there's the auditory component. We're using our ears, we're hearing, and the sound, the sound of the voice, the timbre, the cadence, the pitch, all of those inform the communication environment. Mm -hmm. Then we have the logical component, mm -hmm. which is the more reasoned, uh, often sequential. Things have to make sense in a certain order mm -hmm. for us. The kinesthetic component is the hardest one to describe, um, and that is more easily understood in terms of of hands-on learning, uh, people who have to experience things in order to know them. And so it's the experience of the communication, being in that communication experience with another mm. that's, that's part of that. And I say that's a little more abstract. And then the last two, which actually forms the foundation of the communication styles framework that I've put together, are the interpersonal and the intrapersonal components. Interpersonal meaning between mm -hmm. us and the intra meaning internal. And probably the easiest way to explain that, um, because and it is important because it does form the foundation of the communication styles framework, is to uh, focus on thinking out loud versus thinking internally. 
and I often ask the question at the beginning of a workshop, okay, so how many of you tend to think out loud? In other words, if, if you're presented with something that's important, do you want to talk to others, engage with others, think out loud, express your feelings, um, express all the, the myriad of thoughts you have, um, all, everything you've heard other people say, bounce it off of someone, reflect it, uh, digest it in the external environment versus digesting it in the internal environment, taking it in, sifting it through, um, trying to develop clarity around your own intentions and goals and needs, and then expressing yourself. Mm -hmm. Now, we do both of those. We all do both of those. We don't think about it. Usually, we have a tendency to do one or the other in a more dominant way. Mm -hmm. And that forms the foundation of the communication styles, the mm -hmm. thinking internally versus the thinking externally. Well, let's take that um, as, the, as the basic um, uh, framework and, and talk about some of the differences um, if we were um, in a, a couple relationship or if we were in a work relationship. How does that play out? How do, we, how do we begin to sense, oh, someone might be communicating because they are an external communicator versus an internal communicator? And what are the differences and how would that play out? Well, actually, um, I'm, it reminds me of a story, mm. um, and I, it is one of the stories from the book. Um, it involves uh, two people, uh, two professors who are writing a book together. I happened to be speaking with one who was a friend, and we were talking about a variety of things, including communication styles. And as I was describing this in, interpersonal and intrapersonal axis, um, he got this big smile on his face and uh, started laughing and, and gave a really succinct reflection. And that was, well, gosh, we've been writing this book together for the last few months, and I want to take pieces of it off by myself. I want to write about it. I want to digest it. I want to think about it. I want to come to points of clarity, put it down, and bring it back and show it to my friend. Hmm. He's always wanting us to get together. He wants to talk about everything. He wants to write it down on the blackboard. He wants to, mm -hmm. and he said, there it is mm -hmm. in living color. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm getting irritable with him thinking, why is he wasting our time? Mm -hmm. Why is he demanding something of me that is kind of going nowhere? We're just talking about all kinds of things that aren't going to end up in the final product here. Um, it, it, this is really irritating and annoying. And then if you look at the other person's point of view, he could be thinking other things like, well, why doesn't he want to spend more time together? I thought we were doing this together. It's more of a collaboration. He, he's very withholding, perhaps, or he's very controlling. <laughs> so you see, what I'm getting at there is we make assumptions about other people based on their style because if we were doing what they were doing, it it would have a different meaning right. than if they are doing it. Right. So once this fellow realized that, of course, it, it, it put it in a different framework. He was more patient mm -hmm. with his friend, um, and he didn't make so many assumptions. And so you can see that just those two factors alone really cut down on conflict, um, create more collaboration, we're more patient with one another, and, and there's less friction in the relationship based on style because so much conflict in relationships is driven 
by style differences without people realizing it. Mm. So that those are unconscious um, uh, judgments about someone based on what um, what they do. That's right. <laughs> versus um, what might be happening internally for that for that other person. Sure, and that I think gets reflected. I, I see that a lot in the office practice with doing family counseling, couples counseling, mm -hmm. and um, couples will come in and have, they'll say, you know, we have so many issues, there aren't enough months in the year to talk <laughs> about them. And usually that's a reflection that the process has broken down mm. and that um, there are probably some important style components that aren't lining up very well and and therefore everything appears to be an issue because you don't have a process for talking about it. Mm. Mm. And that really gets into this whole idea too of the different ways that men and women communicate. And I, have, I, I must say I'm somewhat ambivalent about um, a lot of that information. It's not that I don't find it useful in, uh, personally and mm -hmm. in office practice, and lots of people have gotten a lot of help from that. My concern, though, is that it stereotypes a little bit too much. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, just for example, my wife and I are really pretty totally opposite of the typical male-female differences around those communication styles. So those are broad strokes, mm. and they can be somewhat helpful, but I think they don't get to the individual nature. And, and also, we, our needs are so much the same. We may have different ways and proportions around those needs, uh, ways of, of meeting them, but they are basically the same needs. And so I'm afraid it ends up when you start talking about male-female differences, that it looks like there are different needs mm -hmm. around communication. I don't think that's true. Mm. So you think it's it's more about this um, external and inter internal. Um, you use the word intra, being internal, and extra, I mean, inter, meaning between. Those are probably more basic than male and female? I think they're more fundamental. And I mm -hmm. think once you establish um, those with people, their understanding around them, in my experience, then the male-female part of it sort of recedes more right. and it's not as significant because I think this more detailed approach that I'm using accounts for that in a different way. It's not that it's irrelevant and mm -hmm. unimportant, but I think it puts it in a more neutral framework mm -hmm. that's uh, easier to do some problem solving around. Do you have a sense that um, these internal and external um, styles um, or, or foundation pieces, are those cultural? Are they genetic? Any sense of how we are getting those things um, as, as people, how we develop those, those two basic approaches that we, again, you say we're using all of them all the time, but we have a preference or a tendency. Yeah, I, I, you know, that uh, reminds me of other kinds of discussions about nature-nurture, mm -hmm. and um, they're always impossible, of course, to be definitive around, but I, I think it's primarily inherent, mm. but there, the cultural component around it is so strong mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. as well. I think what we observe what we absorb. I mean, the way we learn language is really um, through an absorption process. We don't teach children to talk mm -hmm. or to listen directly. They absorb it in the mm -hmm. environment and mm -hmm. they 
what they hear and don't hear really does inform them. And so I think that has a, an important layer, that, that family cultural component, as well as the, the larger culture around us. But I think these, other, these pieces that I'm talking about have more to do with our wiring mm-hmm. um, and the way that we're processing information in a more fundamental kind of way. Let's let's talk a little. Uh, go back to that notion that there are other factors that um, maybe the the next level up, auditory, kinesthetic, um, the hands-on, uh, the, the, the right. doing, um, visual. What were the other linguistic? Was, linguistic. Okay. Yep. Logical. Yeah. Logical. Um, uh, those are things that that I certainly first learned about in terms of learning styles. Um, again, you mentioned it in terms of your teaching background. So as we are trying to communicate, we think about how other people like to take information in. Is that basically the the, the piece that we're we're trying to get at? That there are differences in how people take information in. Yes, uh, that's that's certainly fundamental, but also. In terms of expression, I mean, it's two sides of that equation. And so, well, for example, uh, there are people that love to tell stories. Mm. And though that, you know, that may be something they learned in their, in their family, um, it, it, it's also, I think, reflected and related to the way they process information. So I've had people say, well, gosh, so-and-so is always telling stories. I ask a simple question. I just want a simple answer, and I get a story. Why does Bill always do that? What, mm-hmm. you know, why doesn't he just stop? Does he think I'm stupid? That, mm. Um, mm. Or is he trying to control the airwaves? And, and why? Well, Bill isn't doing that for your benefit. <laughs> He's really doing it because it's how he thinks. Mm. It's how he organizes the pieces and the best way he has of expressing this in a thorough and complete way you might think more in bullet points. And if you have a more logical orientation Mm -hmm. to your style and processing of information, you're more apt to think succinctly that way. And and that that's not that's a bit of a stereotype. So I want to be careful that I don't right. imply that that's entirely right. true, because there are all these components that configure. It's not any one of them, mm-hmm. but but around this whole idea of storytelling, that's how this person expresses themselves. They're not necessarily trying to control anything, and they aren't not necessarily being condescending to you, but it's a, it's a form of expression that works for them to be thorough and complete. If they tried to do it another way, they wouldn't be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Great. Bob Katayan is here with us on Talk of the Towns. We're talking about communication styles at home and at work. And if you've got questions about either um, how to figure out your communication style or the communication style of other people that you might live with or work with, please give us a call at one 866 6259378 again 18666259378 so how do people find out about their own learning styles and perhaps <laughs> the learning styles of others and make some guesses about um, the differences that that might exist um, well actually you can go to my website <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and i've included there um, the communication component inventory which has the seven components and a checklist of the different areas under each one that can begin to give you an idea. So it's a self-assessment um, kind yeah, of tool. Yeah, it is a self-assessment okay. tool, and it, it's important to make that clear to people that this isn't a definitive kind of tool. This is a, a fluid kind of model, and it's just to inform you to pay better attention mm. to yourself and other people. Mm-hmm. It's not to try to 
nail anything down or put people in pigeonhole boxes. Mm -hmm. So we'll come back to to maybe how after we've learned a little bit about our learning style, how we might use that. But we do have a call. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi, good morning. I just uh, turned on the radio a few minutes ago, and I'm really enjoying the conversation. So thank you. I'm curious if um, our guest is familiar with Marshall Rosenberg's compassionate communication or nonviolent communication. Um, yes, I am very much so. Um, as a matter of fact, when I thought of coming here today and thought of other references, that was certainly one of them at the top of the list. And um, I, I think, again, uh, the kind of work that he's promoted is really based on very sound principles of communication skills in terms of active listening, um, and not being judgmental, um, how to be clear, how to be respectful, and how to progress a conversation. And in a sense, it's very compatible with the communication styles framework because I think once you're more attuned to your own communication style, that's when I think you use things better, the things that, that Rosenberg has developed, or some of the conversational styles that comes out of the work of people like Deborah Tannen. Um, all of those things, uh, what I'm doing is, is in effect dovetailing with that, and I think in some ways provides more of an individual foundation to then progress to having conversations using some of these other techniques that I think are very important and fundamental to good sound communication practices. A further comment or question? Oh, just thank you so much. It's a great show, and um, I think people becoming more aware of those basic needs that everybody has um, just helps to take a lot of the drama sometimes out of just, you know, tin or tailing it right into what someone might be needing, and it helps us to empathize with the situation and with ourselves, actually. I found it very helpful to identify the need inside myself that might be coming up just to help stay peaceful. That's great. And we have had um, guests on to talk about um, compassionate or nonviolent communication in the past. So I'm sure that we'll return to that. Thanks for your call this morning. Thanks so much. Thank you. 1-866-625-9378. Well, this is beginning to, to turn that corner. How do we use this kind of information? How what, might we learn more about our own style? Um, we've talked about that. But once we've learned that, what, what, what use do we make out of it? How do we kind of put this together? Well, yeah, let me give another example. Um, it's one of these stories, uh, again, that just kind of dropped into my lap uh, that's uh, really clear and really illustrative. Mm. I think that it's good to use for an example like this. Um, this is a story about two artists and uh, a lot of conflict, bickering a lot about things, and my trying to help them to find more peaceful ways to communicate, ways to understand one another better, and um, asking them both the question a little differently than I had before. Instead of, how do you feel? What do you think? I said, why don't you describe what you're seeing here? a little different way to approach the question. And in doing that, both bodies relaxed, they both looked up to the side, and the first person started describing the picture that they were seeing. The other person started asking more thoughtful questions to try to clarify the picture. They were used to doing this because they were artists. They talked mm -hmm. about visual things all mm -hmm. the time. When we put it in the visual domain, they were able to tap into other skills and start talking a language that was more visually oriented and gave them then some tools that were more natural to their style 
for problem solving. So in the future, if they bump into some really difficult things, if someone can remember to say, hey, wait a minute, let's talk about what we're seeing here. Hmm. And they were able to do that. And it gave them a new way of approaching. And I think that's really illustrative of how this kind of approach can be really helpful to people when they have more of an inkling of how they're processing information and what their strengths are. It's a more strength-based approach. Mm. It reminds me of, of you, you've mentioned uh, uh, cartoons as a, as a source of learning about communication. I mean, you mentioned sitcoms. I yeah. think of the the, uh, r- the written cartoon in the, in the funny papers, and there was often uh, a solid bubble, and that re- reflected what someone was actually saying. And then there was a dotted line, and either there was a picture in that bubble, or there was another comment in that bubble. And trying to get both of those things out so that everyone is seeing the same thing—that's um, that's what you're talking about. Well, it is. Yeah, actually, I'm I'm smiling here in the studio because I, uh, in my workshops, I have a poster that has some cartoon figures with the bubbles uh-huh. and other things just to demonstrate how complex the communication environment and experience is and all of these multiple factors that are happening simultaneously for both people. And when you look at that, it, it can seem a miracle mm. that we have as much communication as we really do right. because it is so complex. Right. You can participate in this conversation about conversation or communication styles talking with Bob Katayan. Give us a call at one 625 9378 We do have a caller on the line. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Uh, yes, good morning. I'm wondering if um, your guest has any strategies for communication that um, would be between two older people in their 40s and early 50s, one of whom is quite possibly has Asperger's and the other one who is battling um, a health problem, and how... Um, you know, uh, how a reconnecting and being with each other after an, a long hiatus in life away from each other um, and how communication can actually work. Um, some time has gone by, three years has gone by, and, uh, and it's really very evident to uh, one of the people that Asperger's is a very real possibility, um, high functioning, of course, uh, so it would be nice to know if there are any simple routes of communication or strategies that can be attempted to um, try to lay down some basic um, codes of equanimity and uh, understanding. I think the will is there and I think the caring is there, but the ability to communicate on a level that isn't confrontational or perceived or misunderstood, you know, um, is, it's definitely, there's, there are problems. And um, with two different counseling experiences, uh, there doesn't seem to be a lot of help out there to address this. Um, Granted, both were tried for a limited amount of time. One resulted in nothing and no, no advice, and the other one resulted in uh, platitudes like um, a fish and a bird cannot be mates from Tivia from Fiddler on the Roof and or have you heard the oxygen mask story <laughs> so it just seems impossible and I'm wondering if, if there's any any basic strategies that your guest has for a situation like that which um, is you know 
to the genders are different and um, the lifestyles and cultures are different, but um, there's the miracle of reconnection and real compassion and caring for each other somewhere in there. Well, great. Yep. We'll, we'll see what our guest has to say. Thanks okay. very much for your call. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, it's a complex question, and it is important in um, a situation like this to be careful not to be presumptuous when people are presenting personal and, and as I say, complex um, circumstances. And counseling, um, you know, uh, can be helpful in situations like this, but also I think when you're, some of your references to Asperger's, for example, or um, other medical circumstances that might be affecting the relationship, um, counseling often isn't as helpful as it could be, and there are other resources. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember the website. I, um, I'm thinking of Michelle Winner, and Michelle does a lot of work around communication um, that is more about uh, social information processing. I think that's the terminology that she uses. Um, and it's a very practical approach and, and very specifically oriented to dealing with, I think, some of the kinds of things you're alluding to um, that's, that's um, m- not so much of a counseling but an educational approach and learning some very specific skills and how to identify where things are really breaking down um, and it, from a different point of view, not from the sort of emotional, <laughs> relational point of view that's typical of most counseling situations. So Michelle Winner, if you actually did some research around that name, you would get a whole lot of information um, around her and others who are doing some really dynamic and helpful work in this area. Great. That's a great uh, segue, too, Bob, to t- talk about um, skills, that um, once we learn our styles and we perceive that there are differences in terms of our communication styles, we might want to practice skills that, that uh, bridge some of those differences. So in the book, um, you list a lot of, of, of different kinds of skills. So let's, let's talk about some of those things like um, just giving feedback um, or clarifying meaning or um, repairing broken communication. All of those things are things that we can practice. Those are skill-based things, not just really emotionally-based things. Yeah, and it's kind of the next step. I think when you do understand better, how you're processing information, how you're communicating, and you're more sensitive to others. Actually, I'd like to back up just a little from that because one of the questions I get frequently is, okay, I've got a better handle on my communication style, but how is this going to work if I don't know your communication style? And how do I tell Mm. what the other person's Mm. communication style is? And of course, Part of my answer is not very satisfying, which is you can't take someone else's inventory. You have to be very, very careful of that and not start to presume. But if you are aware that this other person does not have the same communication style, just that awareness alone does a lot to create um, a, a more comfortable and flexible space for communicating. Again, you don't make as many assumptions. You start to ask questions Mm. differently. So, you know, as I alluded to earlier in in another example, you know, well, what does it look like to you, Ron, versus, well, how do you feel? Some people, you ask them how they feel and they're totally stopped out. They don't know what to say. And then the assumption is, and mental health professionals are as guilty of this as anybody, well, this person doesn't know how they feel. Well, try asking the question a little differently. Maybe you say, well, gee, tell me what you've been going through. And honestly, I've done this many, many times. 
where I've done just that, and the person starts telling me everything they're going through, which is inclusive of how they feel. Mm. They may not be able to use that word because for some reason it just doesn't resonate with them on a, on a level that brings out what they're going through. But if you ask them what they're going through, they'll tell you. Mm. And so we have to be very careful, again, about assumptions, but you start to ask questions differently of other people and then you do sometimes get an inkling of a component of their style that you're more sensitive to, and you can then tailor some of your questions and communication around that. So I think that's one way of, of looking at the skill issue that you bring up. And of course, you could, um, if you were in a, in a kind of a couple relationship or in a work relationship, you could, you could both take those, um, that, that inventory, communication inventory, and you would see, oh, this is a person that has this style, I'm a person that has this style, then that's concrete information. Well, it is. And, you know, uh, if, if we go back to the two colleagues writing the book and mm -hmm. you extend that, I've done work before with groups of people who are in a work environment together, mm -hmm. and exactly that's what happens. Mm. They'll start to understand these different ways of working, recognize the assumptions they've been making, and then they start to account differently for those. And in fact, they start playing to each other's strengths better. Oh, so-and-so is actually better at this kind of thing, and, and I'm better at this. Or, gee, I need to be more patient with so-and-so because I know that um, he needs to take time to think about this. He's not going to be able to engage with me right now, so I'll tell him what I think is important and, and suggest we talk later on mm -hmm. rather than expecting him or her to immediately be able to do this. So you start to develop more sensitivity and you start to, it, it's more of a natural team building mm -hmm. kind of approach. Um, that, that's kind of embedded in this communication styles, understanding, and, and training. Mm -hmm. and, and also a natural conflict resolution model in some way, too, um, because it gives you different tools from different angles to address things. Mm. We're listening and talking with uh, Bob Katayan, a counselor, consultant based in Ellsworth, and author of Do You Know What I Mean? Uh, recent book, and uh, Bob is here with us talking about that. If you'd like to ask Bob questions, or if you've got some observations, your own insights about communication styles at home or at work, give us a call at 1-866-625-9378. That's 1-866-625-9378. Again, back to the, some of the skills that, that uh, you find uh, people intrigued with. For me, the most, I, I mean, it's hard to say the most important, right. but um, I have a particular fondness for uh, what I call revisiting. And again, I think that speaks more to my practical approach to all of this. People come in to the situation of, of counseling or communication styles training, and they want to do it right. You know, how can we, in effect, never have conflict again and be on the same wavelength? And, of course, I smile as you're smiling right now and saying good luck because it's never going to happen. <laughs> and I don't mean that pessimistically. It's right. just being realistic. If we're going to talk about something important, to think that we can sit down in one sitting and be able to discuss that thoroughly and adequately and achieve the depth of meaning that we need to is unrealistic. Mm. We are going to need to revisit this topic. And so learning when things break down how to identify that it's breaking down, that you're in a familiar destructive pattern, stop it and regroup 
and come back in what I call the revisiting mode and how to have a conversation differently that accounts for the breakdown and tries to get things back on track. That may be necessary to do several times. And realistically, it's something that you have to count on doing. Mm. So yes, we want to do things to avoid conflict, but recognizing that misunderstanding is something that readily happens for for no reason other than that it's complicated. Mm. Um, what are some of the aspects of the revisiting um, skill? Well, probably the most important one is, once you recognize the necessity mm -hmm. of it, is to be able to take stock of what you did during this conversation, how you were affected by what happened, and be able to come back and give the other person feedback about what you went through, not what they did. So it's, it's a little bit like those bubbles in the cartoon, that's making right. sure that all those are, are spoken and, and, and out in front. Of yes, in a way that's not accusatory. So okay. I could say to you, well, Ron, when you said this to me, this is what I went through. Mm -hmm. I started to feel inadequate that maybe you thought I was silly or mm -hmm. foolish or something like that. And so I got defensive, and that's why I called you. X. <laughs> and I apologize for, for calling you the okay, name, Ron. Sure, sure. Uh, but that's what I went through. Mm -hmm. Now, if both people understand that, that we're trying to do something here, then hopefully the other person doesn't get defensive and jump in and say something like, um, well, but how could you think that? I, I never said that. That's not the point. You've mm -hmm. got to learn that that's not what the person, they're not accusing you of something. Mm -hmm. They're giving you feedback of how they were affected, the impact of something that's about them, not necessarily about you. Mm -hmm. If each person finds a way of doing that, taking stock and offering up what they went through, the opportunity to kind of clean up the mess, if you will, mm -hmm. and get back on track is increased um, tenfold. Mm -hmm. And and that um, allows people to, to let go of, of the judgments they'd be ma making about the actual breakdown. Um, what happened, um, you can make some judgments about that, about the other person. This allows you to say, oh, well, this is what was happening for that person. Well, and too, I think when you're offering up what you went through, what you did, and in the way that I just apologized mm -hmm. to you for mm -hmm. calling you a name, mm -hmm. um, you're more naturally going to do the same. Okay. You're going to reciprocate right. and right. you're going to more likely say, well, gee, you know, I'm sorry if I said it in a way that was edgy, Bob. I think I was just upset. And, mm -hmm. you know, we get to sort of each offer goodwill and recognition that we played a part in it. Um, and it doesn't mean, and this is where people get hung up in around this concept, it doesn't mean that... Um, we're taking total responsibility or absolving the other person of their transgressions. They may have indeed said something inappropriately and hurtful. Mm -hmm. um, and if we kind of go after them for that, we're going to create more defensiveness. But they'll naturally come forward with it if we offer up what, what we did mm -hmm. in well, the process. Thanks. We have another call. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi, sir. Okay, I had called before. Um, I am really committed to compassionate communication and just the type of communication that I hear that you're committed to, and I just really appreciate your teaching people about what's going on here. Personally, I want, I'm wondering about your opinion. I have such a hard time with the current media and just in general on the news, and, you know, so often people are just slinging mud, and it just becomes this big label of, um, you know, just a mess. And so I was just wondering, how does someone who's committed to peace and in their own world 
you know, trying to have peaceful relationships and work through things. How do you come to peace with um, what we're just bombarded with every day in the media? That's a great question. It's, it sounds like a topic for an, another show as well. So thank you, thank you for the idea. Um, thanks for your call, uh, Bob. Yeah, I, um, we're both smiling here because I think we both intuitively understand exactly what you're talking about because we're all deeply affected by that. It's something I think a lot about, and in fact, I toy with the idea all the time of starting a blog. Uh, I threaten my friends with starting a blog about this where I comment on purely the communication aspects of what's being presented in the media, not the content so much, but how people are talking about things and how they're expressing things and how that affects us as individuals. And um, I have actually written a few pieces on it uh, that I'm thinking of putting on my Thinking Out Loud piece of that's on my website to sort of test the waters around that. But so far, I've been timid because I've not wanted to shift the focus. But maybe we'll do a show on that, mm-hmm. Ron. Well, th- that's certainly um, what we see, um, as you pointed out, in terms of watching 1950s family sitcoms. What we see is sometimes how we then learn and then react. And um, so it is troubling, to, to me anyway, to, to hear. Um, I just had the opportunity to be in a hotel for four or five nights, and the television was there and I was just blown away by the the terrible communication styles and 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 methods that were used on some of those uh, you know talk talk television type programs it it was appalling it was appalling it is appalling and I think that's infiltrated um, our society in general and I think we notice that in the way that people talk to one another in ordinary ways there's um, a glibness to it. There's a one-upsmanship. There's a, a there's sort of the the one-liner, smart-mouth kind of converse. It's not. I don't. Even, I wouldn't even use mm-hmm. the word conversation mm-hmm. because it's a conversation stopper. And in fact, that's what it's intended to do. It's around gaining control and putting someone else down, being funnier, being whatever more than the other. Um, it's really inappropriate, unhelpful, and kids are being infected by this. And I, that's a strong word to use, but it's true. And actually sort of gets into a conversation you and I were having prior to the show mm. about kids and communication skills. Mm. And that's an area where I think we need to be paying much more attention. Um, actually, I had a, an op-ed published in the Bangor Daily News on the 27th um, uh, National Listening Day, mm. and um, I was speaking to this very issue of kids and communication and how we're neglecting to teach children communication skills as part of their education and how fundamentally important it really is. And perhaps because, we can talk more about that. Because um, they're, they're learning from um, inappropriate communication um, by, the, by the television or the media. Um, they're not getting good examples necessarily, even at their family level. So That's we, right. we really need to teach that. We have one more call. Let's take that call. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hello. Good morning. Hey, I appreciate your show very much. I'm wondering, do you think that we can really teach compassion in, in medicine? I mean, it's something we talk about a lot in family medicine. Can we teach young doctors compassion? And one of the biggest movements is allowing patients, even though you've got five or 10 or 15 minutes, if you're lucky, to let them tell their stories and really listen. Um, and, and I think that you know, listening for all of us is so key because we're so quick to want to make a, a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. 
Thanks so much. Okay, thank you for your call this morning. Uh, Bob, this notion of, of uh, can we um, kind of teach compassion as, as part of, of uh, a listening skill for professionals who might be very rushed in, in their medical practice? Yeah, well, well, one of the good things that's happening is that medical schools um, and internship programs, residencies, are taking this issue more seriously and um, I don't know enough about it to know the details, but I know that they are teaching communication skills and how to be present, be more able to listen, reflect back better what you're hearing, and and trying to connect better with patients in, in more compassionate ways. That is important. But I think that's implied in this whole idea of good communication skills. Mm. So if we were to teach this in school, what would what, what might that look like, Bob? Well... Of course, we'd start with the basic communication styles module from Do You Know What I Mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's, an, it's a good question, Ron, and I don't think I have a, a simple answer to that. Um, but I think there's a, there's a lot of information out there in varied uh, areas um, in education, psychology, um, medicine, communication, arts and sciences, all of those. And there isn't a coherent way of bringing that together in terms of of a progression of skill development at different age levels, but that's an area that I'm interested in terms of curriculum, and I'm trying to connect with people at the colleges and universities in this state to start looking at that issue. We'll come back to that perhaps, but we do have a, a, a call. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Uh, yes, uh, I, uh, you've been uh, I, you're getting to it uh, about the ad attitude, uh, on the, actually it's attitude in conversation and attitude towards others. We're in our is part of the communication, and one of the things that I alluded is uh, the um, you know how commentators on the news speak, and it's always taking credit for making someone do something instead of giving credit to the person for making a decision to do it. That's even with countries and ambassadors and other things like that. We're always saying, "Well, we got them to do such and such," instead of our. Yeah, they're deciding that that's a good idea and giving them credit for it. And I think we're shooting ourselves in the foot with our relations when people in the news continually do that. That's mm. my comment. Thank you. Thank you very much for your call. We're about out of time. So, Bob, um, some resources that you might um, point others, others to in, in addition to, do you know what I mean, your book published by Ex Libris. Um, how would people find out more information about uh, um, that? I guess it's communicationstyles.us is the, is, the, is the place. And you've got a website. Yes, yes, I do. Um, but there are also some other resources. The Harvard Negotiation Project has put out some really great stuff, um, a very popular book called Getting to Yes, and another one called Difficult Conversations. And both of those, I think, are based on some real sound communication principles. Um, also, as I referenced, Deborah Tannen's books on different conversational styles in different kinds of relationships. I think there's some real useful um, work there. And, of course, the reference to the Rosenberg uh, work around nonviolent communication. I think all of those are really helpful and kind of dovetail with one another, um, along with this whole idea of individual communication styles based on inherent individual differences. Great. Well, thanks so much for being our guests again here on Talk of the Towns at WERU. Um, we've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. 
Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balmain House Highland Music recording. Thanks again to Bob Katayan, author of Do You Know What I Mean? Bob is a consultant and a counselor based in Ellsworth. Thanks to those of you who listened and called in. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Support for Talk of the Towns comes from the Maine Community Foundation, 